Yes, great, greater is he, for sure. And maybe we continue to have the Holy Spirit minister to us as we read uh, the reading for today, which is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not uh, from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As we come back to those first six verses that we started with last week of 1 John chapter 4, we're finding ourselves in uncomfortable waters. John deals with a top topic that people in the West don't often want to deal with, much less think about, and that's a battle we're in with the demonic. The battle, as Paul puts it, against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This has actually been his topic from chapter 1 all the way through this letter, the battle of truth and error, the battle of light and darkness, the battle for our minds, the battle for our hearts. And so often it's subtle Charles Spurgeon once wrote, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between knowing right and almost right. This was so heavy on John's heart when he wrote that the fact that Christians were falling for the deception, the almost right, that he circles back to the same topic over and over again in this letter. And each time he does, he goes just a little bit deeper. And at this point of his writing, he's, he's beginning to wrap up his letter. He hits the source of that deception, the source of the lies. Whether we're comfortable with it or not, it is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So John says there in verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. John understands how important it is to know that you can't believe everything you hear. You can't believe everything that is declared to be coming from God. You can't believe everything that is supposedly biblical. You can't believe all teachers of religion. You can't believe all preachers. I hate to say it. You can't believe all preachers and evangelists and, and teachers. You cannot believe all who claim to speak for God and claim to have a prophetic voice. With whom was Jesus the harshest? It was the religious leaders in his time. In, 
And he didn't pull any punches. He didn't go up and say, hey, you know, guys, I, I understand you've got your own truth, but here, you know, here's my truth. <laughs> he didn't try to be gentle and gracious and kind. He didn't try to be understanding and tolerant. He called them out for what they were, and he was harsh. Here's what he said, you belong to your father, the devil. He said this in John chapter 8, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, no hold, no holding to the, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't think that was spoken gently to those religious leaders. And he's saying the same thing to liberal pastors and teachers and theologians of today. Liberal theology or liberal Christianity is described in this way. It is a movement that interprets Christian teaching by taking into consideration modern knowledge, science, and ethics. It emphasizes the importance of reason and experience over doctrinal authority. The article went on to say, liberals abandon or reinterpreted traditional doctrines in light of recent knowledge. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly why John was writing his letter a couple thousand years ago, because of the false teachers who had infiltrated the church with their superior knowledge. One person in the article was quoted as saying, I'm delighted that liberal theologians do their best to try to accommodate Christianity to modern science, modern culture, and democratic society. That's so dangerous. So dangerous. John tells us that all spiritual truth either comes from a divine source or a demonic source. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error, he calls it there in verse 6. The spirit of truth we know is the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of error is Satan and his demons. Nothing is benign. You remember the graph that I put up a while back showing the number of evangelicals who do not believe the Bible is literally true? 26%. That's shocking. A quarter of what we used to know as evangelicals don't believe the Bible is literally true. They have fallen for the lie. That's the spirit of error that John is talking about that has infiltrated the church and has seduced believers away from the truth. That's why it's so important for John that believers learn to discern. Because if we don't, it's so easy to fall for the emotional, emotionally charged rhetoric to accommodate the culture. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 20, he writes, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted entrusted uh, to your care. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Don't get sucked into the cultural arguments that draw you away from the truth. Avoid arguments that oppose Scripture, even though they might be called knowledge. Then the first chapter of his second letter to Timothy, verse 13, he reiterates this. When you heard from me, what you heard from me, excuse me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Again, God's word, guard it. The treasure of divine revelation, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Why do we have to guard it? Because it's always under assault. 
is always under assault. And there are two things that are required to guard the truth. Number one, we have to know the truth. We have to know the truth. That's why Paul said to Timothy, hold on to sound doctrine. You can't guard what you don't know and don't understand. And secondly, it requires that we recognize error. Sound doctrine and sound discernment are essential in the church. This is one of the primary responsibilities of every preacher, every elder, every shepherd, every pastor in the church, every Sunday school teacher. Guard the sound doctrine. Here in chapter 4, John is focusing on discernment, and he commands believers to test the spirits. This is absolutely necessary if we're going to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We have to recognize whatever information is coming to us by its source. Where is, the, where is that information coming from? We saw last time that all religious truth, all spiritual truth, either comes from the Holy Spirit, which is life-giving, is life-sustaining, is life-producing, is, is God-glorifying, or it comes from Satan and his demons. It's either the doctrine of God or the doctrine of demons. We must know the difference because of the malignancy of error and because of the power of truth. Again, why is this so important? Because the truth gives life and error kills eternally. Now, last week we began looking at the need to guard our hearts through discernment. And to do that, John commands us to test the spirits. That was our first point last week. The beginning of verse 1 states very clearly, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, plural, to see whether they are from God. There is a spirit behind every teaching. John is telling us to be skeptical and to discern whether it is a truth or error that is being taught, whether it comes from the Spirit of God or a demonic spirit. That's the command to test. That's why Paul tells us to take every thought captive. That's discernment. Take every thought captive. Where's that thought coming from? Secondly, we looked at the need to test, and the reason uh, for that is at the end of verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you remember what the definition of a prophet is? It's a spokesperson for God, right? Every religion has them. Every religion has them, but the question becomes, what God are they speaking for? Every religious group that does not have Jesus Christ as their foundation, as their truth, has Satan as their God, little g. He is behind it all, some very subtly, some very blatant. Now that brings us to our third point that we want to deal with here today that uh, John brings out, and that is the way to test. There's the need, there's the command, so how in the world do you go about doing it? Well, the beginning of verse 2 introduces this by saying, this is how. (laughs) Here he goes. This is how. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. The number one way to recognize the Spirit of God. Do they believe in the incarnation? Do they believe in the incarnation? Another way of asking that, do they believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ? Every spirit, he says, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's how you'll know. Remember one of the other graphs that I show, the percentage of evangelicals who don't believe that? 43%. That's even worse. 43% of evangelicals believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 
Again, the spirit of error, the spirit of lies, the spirit of deception has gotten into the core of many churches and have deceived pastors in order to seduce believers away from the truth. John is saying that when someone comes and affirms that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that is divine, that is divine truth. That's the first test. The word that John uses for confess is in the present continuous verb tense. Every spirit that continually confesses. He uses the word homologeo, and I mention that because it pops up in a number of verses that we're going to be looking at. Homologeo, which means to say the same thing as another. In other words, everyone who is saying the same thing that the Word of God is saying about Jesus Christ, that, that is, that He is God in the flesh, is confessing, therefore, the truth that is taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, confessing doesn't mean just saying it. It's believing it to your core to where it actually changes your life. So the first test that you want to have for any teacher, any pastor, any elder, is their Christology. Christology is a big word for the doctrine of Christ. What is their doctrine of Christ? What do they believe about Christ? It's absolutely essential to understand that. Now, John doesn't detail what all that entails here in these few verses, but he's been actually talking about it all the way through his letter. He started out this whole letter, verse 1 of chapter 1, by saying uh, that he has heard, he's seen, he's gazed upon, it actually touched the word of life. That's a term expressing the very deity of Christ, because Christ comes from God as his living word. That's why he wrote in his gospel account in John 1 that in the beginning was a word, the word was with God, and what? The word was God. And John says, I've actually touched that word. John reiterates that same truth in verse 2 of this chapter, uh, of chapter 1, excuse me. He was with the Father and has appeared to us. So he was with the Father and he has appeared to us. That's his incarnation. Um, Jesus was sharing the same essence with the Father and then came to earth and appeared to us. And at the end of verse 3 tells us that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is therefore the very Word of God incarnate. He is the eternal life who became flesh. He he is one with the Father manifested to us. He, He is namely the Son in the Trinity who is Jesus Christ. So John starts out with with a very definitive statement of who Christ is in his letter. So he doesn't need to repeat it here in chapter 4. Then if you look at chapter 2, the middle of verse 1, he says, If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And here we learn that Jesus Christ is sinless. He is the righteous one, that he is our sinless advocate. He's our sinless high priest. In verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The, the, The theological word for that is propitiation. Propitiation, the satisfaction. He provided the satisfactory sacrifice to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. This all is bound up in His incarnation that we are to confess and believe. Jesus has come in the flesh in order that He might become a man to be the substitute to die as man for all of mankind. If we go to chapter 2, verse 22, who, who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the 
Antichrist, we talked about that a little bit this morning in our spiritual growth class, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies a Son has the Father. These are very strong, very simple, very straightforward words. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son and all that He is has the Father also. Again, John is emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ, that he shares the same nature as the Father. We can't honor the Father without the Son, because they are in essence one, sharing the same divine and perfect nature. In chapter 3, verse 23, he writes, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. God's command to mankind God has commanded us, He's commanded all of mankind to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, to embrace Him as Lord, to confess Him as Lord. And at the end of chapter 5, the next, uh, last chapter in this letter, verse 20, he puts it very simply and clearly for those of us who need simple. I often need simple. He is the true God and eternal life. Period. All of that is included in John's statement. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We are confessing that Jesus is a person, not just a proposition or an idea or a thought. We're confessing that Jesus as a person is God in human flesh, not a created being. Many cults today believe that or teach that. 73% of evangelicals, 73% who apparently confess that Jesus Christ is the first and greatest being created by God. Folks, He is not created. He is God. We confess, we acknowledge, we believe from the bottom of our heart that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Got to. Interestingly, Even demons recognize that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. They know. How can they not know? James tells us even in James chapter 2, you believe that there is one God? Good. (laughs) Whoopee. Even the demons believe that. And shudder, the Greek word means to shudder, to be struck with extreme fear, to be horrified, to be terrified. That's the demon's reaction to that truth. That God is, uh, Jesus is God in human flesh. So they know that Jesus came in the flesh. They know that he is one with God. They just don't want you to know it. They don't want others to know it. They don't want you to believe and acknowledge or confess Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said about confessing Christ in Romans chapter 10, verse 9? If you confess, same word, homologeo. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Demons recognize his deity. There's no doubt in their minds at all. There are other religious groups who may actually recognize or affirm his deity, but it is absolutely critical that one confess him as Lord, as master, as ruler, as king over all. In Luke chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. There's no in between. 
It's that simple. The idea that's out there today often is that all, you know, a lot of other religions worship, you know, we all worship the same God. We just call him by different names. Folks, that's a lie from Satan. Absolute lie from Satan. They don't because they reject Jesus. They reject Jesus as God in human flesh. They reject Jesus as fully God, fully man, who came as the only substitute for sin. They don't know God no matter what they think and what they say because they reject Jesus. The major religion in the Middle East and other parts of the world claim they worship the same God as Christians. They'll say that to you, but it's impossible. Why? Because they reject Jesus as divine They reject Jesus as a son of God. They reject the fact that Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again. Their teaching, folks, is satanic. That's exactly what Satan wants them to believe. What was it that Paul said in Romans 10.9? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, they they categorically deny that. You'll be saved. John says in 1 John chapter 2, 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Can't get any clearer than that. Now, we all like to make everybody in their religion feel good, right? That's kind of what our society does. Your truth. But if they reject the deity of Jesus Christ, they do not know God at all. Not only do they not know God, but John becomes stronger in verse 3 of our passage here this morning. But every spirit that does not confess, same word, homologeo, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is a spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. He repeats this in 2 John His second letter in verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the the deceiver and the antichrist. Those are strong words. Usually when we think of the antichrist, we think of the final antichrist, right? Spoken in Revelation. That's going to happen. But what John is saying here, and this makes some very uncomfortable is that if anyone denies the deity of Jesus Christ, that is a demonic concept, it's a demonic idea, it's a demonic teaching, and is evidence of the spirit of Antichrist. It's not just wrong, it's against Christ. It's contrary to Christ, it's in opposition to Christ. So for the first test that we learn from John in regard to how we test the spirits is the Christology test. What do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about Jesus? Those who are true confess the divine Lord, the full truth about Christ and all that entails. The second test, do they possess the divine life? Do they possess the divine life? Do they give evidence of a new transformed life that Jesus being Lord of their life? Is that being evidenced? So the first thing we look for is the doctrine of incarnation, Christ becoming man. And the second thing we look for is regeneration, being born again, being transformed by the Holy Spirit. In the incarnation, this is interesting, in the incarnation, God becomes a partaker of human uh, human nature, right? Christ becomes man. In regeneration, that's, that's what happened in us. In regeneration, man becomes partaker of the divine nature. 
In the incarnation, God becomes a partaker of human nature. In regeneration, man becomes partaker of the divine nature. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. The one who is in you, the one who is in me, is greater than the one who is in the world. We sang about that. Amazing truth. This is primarily a statement of their own security against false teachers. Understanding and be secure in who they are in Christ and the truth they have in Christ in the presence of false teachers. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, But you have, been, <coughs> you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. It's right there. It's right in front of us. You know the truth. I do not write to you, he goes on to say, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. And then in verse 24, same chapter, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Stick to the truth. Stick to the truth. If it does, he says, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Then in verse 20 he says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as, as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. His anointing, his word, his truth doesn't change. Over and over he says here, because you belong to God, because you have eternal life, because you possess the Holy Spirit, you do not fall victim to deception and lies. You have an anointing from God. You've got the Holy Spirit to guard, help guard, us, guard our hearts. Those who are teaching false truth can't have that anointing. So stop listening to him, John is saying. Stop. That's why John says here, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome these false truths because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You are a partaker of the divine life. You are a possessor of the Holy Spirit. You are an offspring of God. You are the possessor of an incorruptible seed of eternal life. We talked about that earlier in this letter. And therefore, uh, we have not fallen and should not fall victim to error. Why? Because we have the truth living in us. We have the Holy Spirit who verifies that truth. Anybody teaching with a different spirit, anybody teaching with a false spirit, anybody teaching with a demonic spirit does not understand the things of God, nor can they. It's foolishness to him. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 2, the person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only from the Spirit. If they're teaching something false, they are not discerning correctly, and therefore they do not have the Spirit. They can't discern them. They can't know them. We understand them. We understand the, the, those truths because we have the mind of Christ. That's how Paul describes us in, uh, uh, in, in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians. So why do we listen to them? Why do we listen to these false teachers? God has planted His truth in us, has planted His Spirit in us as a resident teacher. As we listen to what people have to say, we can be discerning because we know the truth. And as we walk in the Spirit and walk in obedience to the truth, the Spirit of God exercises that protective influence over us. 
We are saved because we know the truth and believe the truth. It's the evidence of our regeneration. It's the evidence of our transformation. It's the evidence of the new life in Christ. And there will be in our life the fruit of that regeneration. Our lives are different because we're changed into a Christ life. So look at their life. Scripture says, by their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you will know them. So we test people by their view of Christ, and we test them by how they live. They are usually motivated by the things of the, this world, the false, false teachers, the attractions, the desires of the world, the knowledge of the world. In Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17, he, he prays this to his Father. He's, he's praying about his, his disciples, his followers, whom we are today. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. This world is not my home, the song says, right? I'm just a passing through. Our home is heaven. We are citizens of heaven. That's where our thoughts and desires need to be. My prayer, he goes on to say, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from whom? From the evil one. From the evil one. The evil one, Satan, is a prince of the world. And he is behind the thoughts of this world, the desires of this world, the agendas of this world. Then he says, they are not of the world. My followers are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. Make them holy. How? By the truth. By the truth. Your word, he says, is truth. That brings us to the third test that we see here. Do they submit then to God's word? Do they submit to divine revelation? What's the source of their teaching? Where does it come from? We need to be asking that question. John in verse 5 says, They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. The world loves them, they're very popular. That's often a dead giveaway. Folks, false teachers, false preachers will be very popular because they speak from a worldly point of view. And what's behind the worldly point of view? It has to be Satan. Paul describes him as following the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom, the heir, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Disobedient to what? Disobedient to God's word. All the agendas of this world, all the thoughts, all the ideas of the world, all the science of this world, the education of this world that are contrary to God's word are, quote, the ways of this world and the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. If it doesn't line up, it's from the enemy. And as big of a problem as it is in our culture today, as big of a problem as it is in many churches today, it was a huge problem 2,000 years ago back in the early church. And that was only about 60 years after Christ rose. Listen to what Jude said in his letter. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about salvation, the salvation that we share... I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 
He wanted to write about salvation and all the wonderful things that, uh, that salvation, that we can rejoice in for our salvation. But something so egregious was going on in the churches that the Holy Spirit compelled him to write and warn the believers to fight for the faith. That's aggressive. Fight for the faith. We are not to sit back and ignore false teaching that's going on in churches and in our country. God gave us a profound divine responsibility to fight for the faith and the truth of God's Word and to live our lives accordingly. So what was so urgent that he felt compelled uh, to do that? Verse 4, there in Jude. For certain individuals, this is kind of reiterating what John is talking about, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, slipped in among you in the church They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as only sovereign and Lord. That's what's happening in many churches. They pervert the grace of God to a license of immorality. There are churches that accept that. He goes on to say in verse 17, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you and who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit. Paul, in writing and encouraging young Pastor Timothy in his first letter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, says, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I don't see the word tolerate in that list. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. What's going on today? Instead, he says, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Happening all over the place. People are church hopping until they find a church that preaches what their itching ears want to hear. Make them feel good. He says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The word used for myth means fiction, fable, inventions, falsehood. On the other hand, coming up back to his, his, who he's writing to, John says in verse 6, We, folks, we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, listens to his word. But whoever does not, is not from God does not listen to us. So John says, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Before you accept any teaching, be sure of their view of Christ, their view of salvation, and their view of Scripture, in a nutshell. Do they confess Jesus Christ? Do they manifest a transformed life? And do they submit to the Word of God? And John said at the very end of verse 6, by this, (laughs) he started out with by this, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
It's right there. I'm going to close with just a passage from Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, the writer of Proverbs 4 says, Guard your hearts. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far away from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Fix it on Christ. Fix it on God's Word. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Guard your hearts. We need to know God's Word. We need to stand on God's Word. And we need never to budge from God's Word. We need to discern. Father, this morning, thank you that your word is so rock solid. Thank you it doesn't shift like sifting sands in a flood or in the ocean beaches. Thank you that it is firm, that we can stand on it, and no matter what buffets us from one side or another, uh, no matter what new ideas, uh, new concepts, uh, new knowledge, new spiritual insight that comes up, Father, we can stand on your word because it never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same forever. Father, I pray you'd help us to stand firm, to stand firm and never waver. And in that is life. And in that we know that we have the spirit of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.